I don't know what First Baptist Church would do without our volunteers. You're a blessing to us. I've, I've pastored a number of churches. I've never pastored one that had so many people that are willing to do so much. And it's just amazing that uh, anytime we have a need and uh, we turn Kitty loose on the phone and she never gets a no from anybody. And you're so generous, you're so giving. Uh, we, we truly, as a church, simply offer you an opportunity to minister, and you minister so well. I remember when I came here, just a few weeks after I'd, Easter of 2010, I'd mentioned on a Sunday night there was a group of, of our volunteers, and uh, uh, Ken Roberts and Melba and, and Sally McFarland were all back there after the service, and I walked up and I said, well, I want to speak to the volunteers in the office tomorrow after staff meeting, if I could, just meet with all of you, let everybody know. And uh, those of you that knew Ken Roberts knew the kind of a dry sense of humor he had. And Sally looks around very curious, and she said, I wonder what the pastor wants to talk to us about. And Ken Roberts, without even missing a beat, said, he's probably going to fire you all. <laughs> Sally told me later that she didn't sleep all night long. She said she was so upset and so worried. She was on the pastor search committee. Now she said, I can't imagine, just as I've gotten to know him, he's going to fire me. Well, I called him in the office after a staff meeting, and I looked at them, and Sally said, I know what's going to happen. You're going to fire us. I said, Sally, I can't fire you. She said, why not? I said, I never hired you. You're a volunteer. She looked at me, and she said, that Ken Roberts, wait till this meeting's over with. That's what I love about volunteers. You give because you want to. But not just that, you keep giving and giving and doing. You've made this church special. Now, granted, we've got nice buildings, and we're going to make sure that all of them are nice before it's over with. We're, we make sure everything is here that you need. But without you, without your giving to the Lord, as Maggie sang so beautifully, we just be a building. You make the church the church. Please keep doing that. Because truly, over 178 years, you've made this church not just a church, but the church in the black belt that's made a difference. God bless you all. Keep doing it. Our passage today is an unusual one because it's talking about basically removing the blinders. Seeing life as it really is, we all struggle because many voices speak to us. Many times we'll hear a voice and they're speaking like God, but they're not speaking from God. I've heard many ministers, evangelists, and preachers, and as I listened, what they were saying would communicate with my spirit. And I could identify that. As a young Christian, you learn the importance of this. But you also learn not to jump to conclusions when you hear someone speaking of God. Especially quoting Scripture. I can remember one time long before I became a minister. I was sitting on a bus, driving to downtown Atlanta with, with every other passenger on that public uh, bus. And... 
Somebody looked around and saw that I was reading my Bible, and the guy just quipped to the person next to him, and he said, well, it's just like it says in that book there, and that young man can tell you, God helps those who help themselves. And I smiled, and I said, I'll give you $50 if you can find it in there. It's not. So many people assume things about God that simply are not true. They quote him for things he never said. I'm thankful that God doesn't just help those who help themselves because that would mean that God didn't have grace. It's when he helps you that you're at your worst, at your lowest, at your saddest moment. When you can't do for yourself, that's when God helps you. Get into God's Word and read it and know it and understand it and realize how much He loves you. We live in a world that is more than the eye can see and things are not always as they appear. No one can tell you about the God who saved you. I've told you before that, that God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has children. Because you don't inherit your faith. You may witness it in a family member. You may experience their love and their compassion, their forgiveness and their kindness. But you firsthand have to come to know Jesus. His Holy Spirit will be placed within you. And that Holy Spirit will help you to identify what is true and what isn't. There's a spiritual realm that we cannot discern with the five senses. I've looked at people and I've thought, well, that's a nice person. They're well-dressed, they're kind, they're well-spoken. Surely they're a good person. They have a nice big Bible under their arm. They even got their name on it. They must be a Christian. But the reality is there are many people that want to be a Christian and want to be perceived as a Christian, yet they've not been willing to make the sacrifice now you say, why would they not do that? It's, it's very simple, dear friends. They're people that don't want to let go of their past to embrace their future with Jesus. They want to hold on to their past. And God never said, I'll save you 5% at a time or 10% at a time. No, He wants all of you. All of you. Every bit of you. He wants your public time as well as your private time. He wants your your time at work as well as your time at home. He wants all of you. Because unless he has all of you, he cannot demonstrate his power in his working. And therefore, because of that, there are many spirits out there that have not surrendered their entire life to him. They have a private life, if you might say. One that's still in the flesh. One that appeals to their old nature because they've not really let go. One of the greatest struggles I think that we have in Christendom are people that think they're special and think they're good and think, you know, I could help God with what he's doing. No, he doesn't need that. We need to surrender our whole life to him and let him change us. And to, he will use our personality, he'll use our nature, he'll use our abilities, he'll use our skills, but he determines what is special and what is good, and what is great. That's the only way God can ever get the glory for all that we do. You know, John says here an amazing thing. He says, test the spirits to see that they be of God, for there are many false spirits gone out into the world. 
Now that testing thing is kind of tricky because the word that's used there is the same word that Greeks use for testing metal. Because back then, just as now, many times there were, there were coins and there was jewelry that was not real gold or real silver. And they had to have a test to determine that it was the genuine thing. In the same way, we need to test the spirits. You listen to someone long enough and see who they testify to, who they give the glory for, who they acknowledge and recognize as their Savior and Lord. Sometimes it's in the struggles of life that we really find out who we're faithful to and who we love. Sometimes as we go through the valley of the shadow of death and we pass through it, we suddenly become aware of the fact that we're short and we're limited and we need more of Jesus. People encounter his, his need in their life in many ways. And we have to grow. God's Word is too important for us to hold but not to consume. You know, we're told that the Bible is not just to be read, but it's to be processed into our hearts. It's to become a part of us. As someone once said, the Bible does not become yours until it becomes you. And it's important for us to do that. Uh, George Barna, many years ago in a, a, a book he wrote called The State of the Church, did a survey. He wanted to find out how much Christians knew about the Bible. So he surveyed about 40,000 Christians, a stratified group all over America. Here's what he determined. 48% of the people he spoke with could not name the four Gospels. 52% could not identify more than two or three of Jesus' disciples. 60% of American Christians couldn't name even five of the Ten Commandments. Boy, that's scary. And 61% of American Christians thought that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. Think about that. Folks, I want to tell you something. We've got to get into God's Word. It's got to become us. You can try to overcome the temptations of life with sheer cause of will or strength within yourself. And you'll do good for a couple hours or a day or so. Let me tell you something. Satan is more cunning, more understanding of the human nature than anybody. Because remember, he understood it well enough to get Adam and Eve to succumb to temptation. They should have immediately recognized what was going on, but neither did. Both gave in. You see, Satan also knows how to tempt us. He's had plenty of practice for thousands of years. And that's why God's Word is the only weapon we can use to resist Him. If you've never spent half the night quoting Scripture and reading it and praying, seeking the strength of God to overcome a temptation, you don't understand what I'm talking about, but that day will come. God will give you that strength. His Spirit within you will give you what you need. This passage says, you belong to God. My dear children, you have already won the victory. See, here's what's amazing. 
What you do in this life after you accept Jesus as Savior does not determine whether or not you go to heaven. That's a done deal. Jesus settled that. When you accepted His gift, you have a home in heaven. But the reality is, if you're not willing to submit to His Word and change, you may be the hindrance that keeps other people from going to heaven. Again, Maggie, that was wonderful. And one of the things I loved about that song is that it acknowledges that sometimes even a little old Sunday school teacher sitting in a back cinder block room with tile floors, working with children that seemingly are not listening, are really listening. They hear what you say. I was that child once. Y'all were that child. You remember that. And the difference that teacher made when they cared and they poured that into you. Uh, Claire, I've told you before, I'll never forget the, the flannel graph, which I do we even still have those. Our flannel graph in the junior department, the shepherd on there had an arm that just flopped down all the time. But they continued to use it. And I looked at that and I've wondered at times how many thousands of children had their eyes opened up to truth through that. Thank God that we care about our children. Thank God that we pour God's Word into them. Because the day will come that life will get complicated. And seemingly, people think they outgrow those truths that transform us as children. But no, you don't. They grow within you. And then they come forth at the most important times. The Spirit in you is what will make you strong. That Spirit will change you. It will resist the spirit of deception from the evil one at that time when you need Him most. I've always said that when I stand beside the bed of somebody that is about to step into eternity, I've never heard them quote the third declension of verbs in the Hebrews. No, they don't do that. I've never heard anybody talk about their midterm while they were in school getting their degree for architecture. No, they don't do that. You know what you remember? You remember those verses that are planted in your heart. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You remember that Jesus loves you and he always loves you all the days of your life. Those are the things you hold on to. Don't ever let go of them. And understand this, that, that when you speak in front of any group of people, you're not speaking for yourself, you're speaking for Jesus. You may share Jesus in different words. You may express it in a way that the people don't really understand because you're in a different environment. Jan Parker works at the library. Jan, I've been up there many times with you. She herds cats around that place after about 2.30. It's amazing the kids that come and go. She has children there. We'd never get into this church because they're very limited to their environment. But she's our missionary to the kids that need Jesus there. And you do it so effectively. That is important. That's what we've got to do. Our goal is to get Jesus out of this building and into the hearts of those people. And nothing else will work. 
I've wondered at times how many millions upon millions of dollars of grant money comes into Selma on a yearly basis. Certainly, there have been hundreds of millions of dollars here. But we still have one of the greatest issues with poverty of anybody. Our crime is just like any other big city, though we're not a big city. And I'm still convinced beyond all measure that the only thing that will ever change Selma is Jesus. And I pray that you would be that volunteer that will take him out there, take your blinders off, forget about all the experts. Don't listen to the news. They don't have a clue. Listen to the Holy Spirit of God and you will be changed and Selma will be changed. And it's my privilege now as I pray and as I dismiss you after the invitation that then the greatest group of volunteers in all of Dallas County and Selma, Alabama will go to work. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that you give us a spirit of victory. The battle was won long before we were brought into this world. And because of that, we go out victorious. Yet we have to go out because without our witness, without our testimony, without our words, without our actions, people may never see Jesus. And I pray right now that we would be convinced and convicted of the importance of what we do in your name. May we not fail to do that. And Father, I pray that if there's one here within the sound of my voice that has not made the decision to surrender to you and accept the gift of salvation, I pray that today would be the day that that decision would be resolved forever and always in their lives. It's as simple as walking down the aisle and us praying together a very brief prayer. If your heart's convicted of sin, you're ready. And Father, if there's one that needs to come and become a part of this church and say, I, I can't do it alone. I need to be a part of the body of Christ. Please come. Because the army of God, led out by this congregation, has done great things over the years and will continue to do that as we're obedient. Lord, speak to someone today that simply needs to be faithful and they need to say yes when your spirit calls. And I pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.